morning. It's really a privilege to be able to, to speak to you, especially in the last weekend of our Courageous Living series. But before I get into it, I need to call uh, attention to my uh, bio in the handout. I feel I need to confess something, get it off my chest, because there's something that's slightly untrue in it. So, okay, yeah, I have been a part of the community and the director, and uh, I do hold those degrees, and um, I do love writing scripts and directing productions. Um, that last part, I've uh, managed to keep a ficus alive for nine years. Yeah, that's not so true anymore. <laughs> uh, well, I kind of put it in as a joke years ago when I started speaking here about, you know, because our bios always say, him and his wife live in San Francisco or whatnot. And I'm like, well, I have a ficus tree, and I've managed to keep it alive for eight years. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not doing well. So if anyone has any tips for me after the service, please. I just, I just felt I had to be, come clean, be honest with you first. Yeah. Anyway. So I started thinking about courage and what would be on my heart to share with you in this, this great series about courageous living. And so I thought about courage. And immediately, my mind went to those really cheesy aerobics videos from the 1980s. OK? Stay with me. Trust me. OK? And I thought, you know, there's always the woman in the middle of those videos. I'm dating myself, I realize. Always the woman in the middle of those videos who's saying, you know, and she's doing the kind of the medium level of the exercise, right? We're supposed to follow her. And then over her shoulder, you've got some guy in the back just, you know, just going crazy. And he's like the advanced workout, right? And then you have someone over here like sitting on a chair going. And that's like the beginning of the small workout. And I thought about that. It's kind of like courage. We have these um, times in life where we have to exercise crazy big courage. And then we have those times of medium courage. And then we have those small moments of courage. You know, those big moments, maybe it's getting married or you know, going to war. Oh, not the same thing. Wait a minute. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and then we, have, then we have those moments of like, where it's kind of like that medium level courage. You know, maybe it's going to that job interview. Maybe it's finishing that final dissertation. Um, and then we have those small moments of courage, you know, like going to the dentist. <laughs> no. Maybe even those small moments of courage come to church. Maybe you need to have some courage just to come here today. And so as I was thinking over my life, you know, where were the times when I, I was able to do these courageous things and I felt courage the strongest? And I realized it was when I felt the most hope, when I had the most hope about the future and where I was going and that God was with me. And I started to see this correlation between hope and courage. And it was like, the more hopeful I felt, the more it pulled that courage out of me. And so I saw this intrinsic relationship because the times that I didn't have much courage or I felt weak or afraid, I didn't have hope. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today is that relationship between hope and courage. And I want to share with you a story from the Bible. It's in our handout. And I think it's a pretty dramatic explanation or a demonstration of it, this relationship between hope and courage. And it's in Luke 8, but I want to uh, call attention to the scene here. Okay, Jesus has been going through his ministry at this point. It's fairly, it's fairly early on in his ministry. And he's been healing all over Galilee. And he's coming home at this moment to his hometown in Capernaum. And it says, on the other side of the lake, 
The crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him in his hometown. They'd been waiting for him. They had that spirit of expectancy. Here he comes, and this crowd is gathered to welcome him. And a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, which means he was a fairly wealthy man, powerful man, high-ranking man, came and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. Wow, pretty dramatic. That hopeless feeling. He came to Jesus, are you hope? Can you give me hope for my daughter? And it says, and Jesus went with him. Yes, I will go with you. And as he went with him, he was surrounded by those crowds, that crowd that had welcomed him on the shore. And I don't know if you've ever been like in a huge pressing crowd before, how cramped that can feel. I just uh, decided a couple weeks ago to take public transportation to and from the ballpark. And I took uh, the Muni home after the, the Giants game, and that was crazy. And I was just like, get up off me! You know, that crazy crowd. And that's kind of how I see what's going on here. This crazy crowd is just pressing and thronging and going along with him. And then it says, a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, um, and she could find no cure, and we know from another account of this in the Gospels, it said that she had spent every dime she had to see doctors. But she could find no cure. And she came up behind Jesus. And I'm like, I can just see her just swimming through the legs and just trying to get through this crazy crowd of people. And so it says, he came up behind Jesus and she touched the fringe, just the fringe of his robe. And immediately, the bleeding stopped. And Jesus says, who touched me? I love this next moment because everyone's here to see Jesus and he suddenly stops and he says, who touched me? And everyone denies it. It wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. It's so human nature. Who touched me? Everyone denies it. And then here comes Captain Obvious. He says, <laughs> he says, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. I'm like, what do you mean who's touching you? Everyone's touching you. Thank you, Peter. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. What was different about her touch? What was different about her touch? Wow. We find out. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd, that whole pressing crowd, listened to her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Here's what Jesus says. Why was her touch different? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. That what was different about that touch. And we know from the account in Mark chapter 5, I think it's verse 28, her faith, it said, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. She had that faith. And it wasn't just faith for faith or hope or good positive feelings that healed her. It was her hope in him. Because what does she say? If I can just touch his robe, him, if I can just touch him, I will be healed. Wow. And here's another dramatic moment in the story. You can see this. Because all the while I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we forgot about Jairus, right? His daughter is at home dying. How scary. And I can see him going, that's nice, that's awesome, that's great, but my daughter needs us. My daughter needs you. 
And so as Jesus is probably talking to this woman, as she falls and she explains this, as he's talking, we see this messenger come up, and he's probably fighting his way through the crowd. He sees Jairus, and he fights his way up to him. And he says this, because it says, while he was still speaking to her, Jesus was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter is dead. Gong. And it's like that, that, that moment in a movie where it's like, you know, the camera's pushing in and the background is spreading out. And we just have that moment of the bottom dropping out. Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Ugh, I just, here was a man who had a daughter, a 12-year-old daughter. She hadn't even barely become a teenager. She hadn't even begun to live yet. All the dreams, all the things and plans that he had had for her, maybe. Watch her get married, watch her have children, grow old, seeing her children grow up. All of those gone in a second. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the master anymore. And I can see that that is so much like me sometimes and so much like us sometimes. It's like things look really bad. We go to for help, and then they just go from bad to worse, and they are hopeless. And we say, it's too impossible. I won't bother. I won't bother praying anymore. She's dead. But what does Jesus do in this moment? It says in verse 50, but when Jesus had heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith, and she will be healed. Don't be afraid. And if I were writing the script to this story, at this moment, I would probably give Jairus a little bit of a speech. And I would say, I would have him say, I had faith. I came to you. I fell at your feet, and I said, my daughter needed you. She was dying. And you took your time. And you took your time going through the crowd. You're too late. It's over. It's hopeless. She's dead. Don't be afraid, he says. Why? What was the fear that Jesus is speaking to right there? I think I could suggest that that fear is that don't give me false hope. I had hope when I came to you, but she's dead now. So don't give me false hope. Let me go and grieve. Let me go and grieve. It's over. I don't want to bother anymore. I think we can be like that. Or we don't want that false hope. It's too afraid to hope again. And so we shut it down. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. And I thought all the times that I thought, gosh, Lord, you're late. Why didn't you answer my prayer? And I began to think about, wow, what did Jairus just witness? What did he just see in the crowd? He just saw a woman of great faith reaching forward. And because of her hope and faith in Christ, she was made whole. She was healed. And so I began to think, maybe all those times that we say God is taking too long. God isn't answering our prayer in time. It's too late. Maybe it's in those moments that God is saying, look, see what I'm showing you about me. Let me show you who I am and my power. And let that encourage you to have hope. To have faith. Well, apparently... Jairus did have enough hope and faith because it says they went on to his house. And when they arrived at his house, verse 51, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the little girl's father and mother. And the house was filled with people weeping and wailing. And again, I can just see that. As Jairus is coming, whatever kind of courage and faith he has, walking towards his house, and he hears this weeping and wailing 
coming from inside his house. And I can just feel him saying, it's dead, she's dead, I can hear it. It's just only confirmed that she's dead. The whole town is weeping. And the house was filled with weeping and wailing. But Jesus said, stop weeping. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. And what does it say? And the crowd laughed at him. They said they laughed at him because they all knew she had died. We saw her, she's dead. They laughed at him. One when, uh, translation says, they laughed him to scorn. And again, right there, I'm thinking of Jairus. <gasps> I don't want to be made a fool of. I don't want to be made a fool of. And I think that we can be like that. It's like, I, I can't get my hope up again because I, I don't want to be made a fool of. I don't want it to not come to pass. And people will laugh and I will feel like a fool. But I want to go to the account in Mark uh, chapter 5 again, verse 40. What does Jesus do? It says, the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. He made them all leave. And he took the little girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. I thought, wow, okay. He took the mourners and the weepers and the ridiculers and he put them out of the house. I don't want you here. And who did he, but it wasn't just who he put out. Who did he bring in? He brought in the father and the mother, people who had the most stake. And then he brought in Peter, James, and John, his most faithful, closest disciples. It's not just who he put out, it's who he brought in. And it says in verse 54, and then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up and answered the phone. <laughs> and she immediately... <laughs> Cell phone's off, please. <laughs> and, she immediately and she immediately stood up as life returned to her. And Jesus told her to give her something to eat. Wow, pretty dramatic story. And um, I love this story because I can really relate to it in a lot of ways. And I think we can too. I want to share something about this that relates, something from my life that relates to this story a lot. I relate a lot to the woman at first. That woman who had that constant bleeding. Because I, in a sense, years ago, had kind of a metaphoric constant bleeding in my faith. I had the ever-present doubt that God didn't love me. I doubted whether or not God truly loved me. And I was a Christian. I believed. I had faith. I knew he was my savior. I knew he was Lord. I knew he was God. But did he love me? Was I his beloved child? Was he my Abba father? Abba meaning my daddy. Did he love me? And I struggled for years with this. I came on staff, vocational ministry, and I still struggled with it. And I was ashamed of that. I'm on staff, and I'm struggling with this? I write scripts about God's love. I encourage people, I pray for them, and I believe it for them. For me, I'm not so sure. I had a lot of rejection in my life, a lot of deep, deep wounds. And I remember praying, God, heal this, heal this. It was like I had a tank that was full of God's love and I had a hole in the bottom of it. And it just started slowly draining out and my fear and my anxiety would grow. And then I'm like, I would, I would do more, pray more, be better. 
do everything I could to fill that tank back up, to please him, to get his love. But then when that was over, it would slowly start to drain out again. And all that anxiety and fear would come up again. And I would pray, God, heal that hole in the tank. Heal me. Show me that you love me. Help me to grab hold of that love. Help me to believe it. And I prayed for many years. And I felt no relief. I felt like that woman had no cure. And after so much time, I said, okay, I guess I'm not going to get that. And I let that hope and that prayer die. And I locked it away. And I said, okay, she's dead. Much like the daughter. She's dead. I'm not going to bother the master anymore. I'm not going to ask you anymore. It's too impossible. I'm too wounded. It's dead. And I began to build my life around that dead area, as we all do. We go on with our life. And we just learn to live with that part of our life dead. Don't we? Those wounded areas, we just go, OK. That's what's going to be. That's how it's going to be. I'm just going to move on. And about eight years ago, I took uh, the Cleansing Stream seminar. And what the Cleansing Stream seminar is, this is not an advertisement. This is just part of my story. But uh, I, I took the Cleansing Stream seminar. And it's, about, it's a seminar about discipleship and healing and learning to let go of wounds and things from the past. And uh, Cornerstone's actually starting one up in a few weeks. So if you want to ask, you can. But I remember I took that seminar. And at the end of that, that seminar, they have what's called a prayer retreat. And you go down and you have some teaching. And at the end of every teaching session, they have a time of prayer where you get to go up and have one-on-one -on -one prayer with people. And so we get up, and we all kind of go up, and we stand up in lines kind of in the aisles, and we just kind of inch forward as we, get, uh, as we move closer to the person we're going to pray with, pray with. And I remember standing in that line thinking, what should I ask for prayer for? What should I ask for prayer for? And all of a sudden, I started to feel this drawing, this light, this life come into me. And it's almost as if I heard the Lord say, ask me again. Ask me again. And immediately, I had this huge fear come over me. And I'm like, no, no, I can't do that. Don't do it. Don't do that. Don't, don't touch that dead area. I've shut it away. I've locked it away. Don't go there. I have learned to build my life with that dead. Don't do it. Step forward. We're moving forward on the line. Again, I'm feeling, I'm feeling that drawing. Ask me again. Ask me again. No. No, I don't want to be made a fool of. I don't want to be laughed at. Ask me again. And I, no, Lord. No. I don't trust you. I've been hurt. I've waited for so long for this to be healed. I can't trust you anymore. I can't ask you because what if I do and I'm still wounded, I don't think I could survive that. I couldn't survive it. So I'd rather just keep it dead and just live with the half-life, half-faith that I have. I'm OK. I get up to the front of the line. I'm just about to step forward. I'm the first, I'm the next one in line. And in my mind, I think of the Lord. And again, I hear him saying, how long are you going to hold me at arm's length? Don't be afraid. Have faith. And from the, mo from the five steps I had to walk from the head of the line to my prayer partner, all of a sudden, that hand in my spirit went like this. 
and I grabbed the fringe of his robe, and I said, I will trust you. I have hope in you that you can do this. And I can say that at that moment, the healing started. At that moment, I felt life, life, life begin to grow in that dead, dark area. And it just began at that moment. It started me on that journey of him bringing that back to life. And today I know he is my Abba Father. I am his beloved daughter, accepted and loved. I know that today. And I would ask, what are those things in your life that are dead that you need him to bring his life to? Areas in our hearts, areas in our lives. Maybe it's a hope that's never been fulfilled. Maybe it's a relationship that's dying or even dead. Where are those areas in your life that you've just given up hope? What are those? Because I think we can really pull from this story, from this account in the Gospels, to think about having courage and what that means. And so I just have some closing thoughts to consider. And they're more like questions. <sighs> My first question to you would be, what are you reaching for? What are you reaching for? Are we reaching to the Lord? Are we reaching for the hem of his garment? Or are we reaching to the temporary things in life, the things that can either mask our pain, cover up those dead areas, maybe make us feel a little bit of life for just a little bit of time, but they don't have any lasting effect. What are you reaching for? Okay, and if you are reaching for the Lord, here's my second question. Are you reaching with expectation? Are you reaching with hope like that woman? If I can just touch him, I know I will be healed. Or are we like the Jairus' messengers that say, it's too impossible, don't bother the master anymore. I know for me, sometimes I've prayed and I've kind of just gone through the motions. Lord, I pray that you do this. I pray that this happens. I know it's probably not going to happen, but I'll pray anyway. What do we say in our heart? Do we believe? And again, it's not just hope for hope's sake. Are we hoping in him? Are we believing in him and who he is? Or are we misunderstanding his power? Are we reaching with expectation? Here's my third question. Who is in your house? Who is in your house? And what is in your house? Are there mourners? Are there weepers in your house? Are you surrounding yourself with negativity and people that are just speaking death? Are you surrounding yourself with people who are saying, that's over, that's dead, don't bother? Do you have ridiculers in your house? Oh, your faith is foolish. You know you're going to be made a fool of. You can do your faith thing, but eventually you're going to be made a fool of. You know that. Who's in our life? Who are we allowing to speak into our lives? Maybe it's not people. Maybe it's the voices in our head. You're stupid. You can't do it. You're unlovable. This will never happen. And you have those things in our, in our heads. Maybe we've let some bad habits in. Maybe there's things and sins that we're struggling with, and they're in our house. You know, it's not just what's in our house. I mean, it's not just what we need to put out of our house. It's what we need to bring in our house. Bring in people that are life-giving. Bring in people of faith, people that can support you, 
Jesus brought in his three closest disciples. Bring people into your home. If you're struggling with something in secret, bring someone in that can help bring light to that. Bring someone that can help support you and speak life and encourage you to have hope in Christ's ability to heal it and deliver you from it. This is a great thing to bring into your house. His word, his scriptures. Maybe start in the book of Psalms. It's full of his promises and hope. I read so many scriptures about hope in here. Read his gospels, read about his miracles. Bring this into your house. Who and what is in your house? And lastly, maybe we are facing some really tough stuff. We don't have a whole lot of courage. We have just about enough courage to sit in that chair and go, that's okay. Then I would encourage you this last point, stay in the crowd. Put yourself in the crowd. It's why we gather together in church. It's why God tells us, why Jesus encourages us to gather together as a community of believers. Because when we gather together and we worship him and we draw near to the Lord and his presence comes, things happen. Dead things come back to life. Put yourself in the crowd where he's moving, where you can see him touching, where you can see who he is by what he does and how he moves in other people's lives. What does that look like to say, put yourself in a crowd? What does that look like? Maybe it's joining a small group. Maybe it's joining the Cleansing Stream Ministry. Maybe it's bringing someone in and saying, I need you to pray with me. This is what I'm dealing with. And it's coming to gather together as a community. Put yourself in the crowd. If you need courage, if you need courage to what you're facing, I ask you this. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? Hebrews says that hope is the anchor of the soul. But our anchor is only as good as what an anchor is tied to. Is your hope in Christ? If you need courage, put your hope in Christ. We're about to um, have our time of giving, but I kind of want to share with you what we're going to do in the last part with our last song. So I want to call your attention to the lyrics in your handout. We're kind of, kind of excited about the way we're going to end our service. The Creative Arts team has put together a special um, video presentation that's going to go along with this last song. And the song is called Dry Bones. And it refers to those dead and dry areas that we want God to bring life to. You know, our soul cries out for that life. You know, only you can raise the dead and lift my head. And in the video, you're going to see kind of a visual metaphor for what I think a lot of us go through. Things happen, hurts happen, wounds happen. And we say, you know what? You're going to take all that hope and all those um, unmet prayers and all that uh, wounds, and we're going to lock it away in a room. I'm never going to bring that hope out again. I can't trust again. I've been wounded. I'm going to let that die. I'm going to lock it in a room, and then I'm just going to go on with my life, much like I did, just build my life back, just learn to live with it locked away for good. But Jesus said, I came to bring you life. I came that you would have life. And he wants to bring his light and his life to those dark and closed off areas. And we're afraid, and we struggle, 
don't do it. Much like I did, don't do it. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Stop bothering. We try to shut it out. It wakes us up. We shut it out. But Jesus came to bring life. He came to bring life to these dry bones. So we really hope that you receive that last part of the service. But right now I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Abba, Father, before you sit to your beloved children, and Lord, I know maybe even some of us are struggling with just that identification as your beloved children. Lord, you know every wound. You know what we're facing. You know the hardships. You know those dead, dark areas in our hearts. You know how uniquely wounded we all are. And Lord, that is a very reason that you came, to bring life. And so, Lord, give us that hope, that hope in you, and that hope that give us the courage to reach out, to open that door to you. Give us the courage to do our part, Lord, and open our hearts to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These balls cry out 
life is brave.